Blog Talk Radio. Everybody is talking about trans athletes this week, Jim. But first, we want to say our podcast is being sponsored by AT&T, Mobilizing Your World. And yes, um, Monday was June 1st, and June 1st was the <coughs> day we all uh, heard about the Caitlyn Jenner for the first time. So it was a real perfect timing for Pride Month. I guess Vanity Fair had its highest digital day ever in terms of page views, visits, and all that kind of stuff, and it was kind of fascinating how they got the, how they kind of were able to keep everything under wraps um, from anybody finding out. Well, that... The only thing they really kept under wraps was, was was the image. I mean, people knew Annie Leibovitz was shooting it. They knew Jenner was going to be on the cover. I just didn't know when or what it looked like, right? Well, exa- meaning that there was no leaks at everything. I mean, there was no leaks. It was to come out Monday and <clears throat> everything like that. So it was the fact that Caitlin has a very nice house with very nice stuff <laughs> made it an easier shoot because they didn't have to rent something out that would have maybe caused somebody to leak something. So, uh, But no, it was a pretty historic day. It, uh, I think it's one of those markers you're going to remember, like, in history when – you know, someone like Jason Collins came out in sports, or Ellen came out back in the '90s. People are going to remember the whole Caitlyn Jenner thing. Well, and and the way that they did it, you know, for the whole Diane Sawyer piece to go through, and and Caitlyn wasn't using the name Caitlyn, and and was using different pronouns, and 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 then for there to be this just this kind of clean break. I mean. We saw Caitlyn, you know, before she was really dressing like a woman and putting on all this makeup. And so it was such a clean break from the Diane Sawyer interview to this. <laughs> it's like, wow, this is a new person that we're meeting. I thought that the way they did that part of it was awesome. A lot of people criticized them for for not kind of using other pronouns with the Diane Sawyer interview. But I thought the way that they've done it is really cool. Yeah, and that's what Caitlyn Jenner wanted. I mean, you know, I think we all get concerned about being critical of what other people's decisions are. And, you know, Caitlyn Jenner was in control of her story. And so she did the interview with Diane Sawyer where she was referring to herself as Bruce Jenner at the time. You know, and this is what Bruce, you know, this is how Bruce Jenner thought. And so... You know, that's her story, and I think the break was perfect. And I think the fact that it just happened on June 1st, it seemed like the whole fresh beginning to everything. First of the month, and now we have this. And I thought the response has been fairly overwhelmingly positive. And we've written about a few idiots out there, J.R. Smith, the Killeaven Cavaliers, for one. But for the most part, it's been really, I thought, respectful, at least in public. I don't know what people think privately, but that's a different story. But 
I, mean, I think it shows that people have kind of changed on this because we're, we, there was not much of any kind of backlash. Well, and one of the things that we often hear, and I saw some of this this week, is when when somebody comes out, who cares? Why is this story? Why are you making this? And nobody wants to hear about this. Nobody wants to see this. In four hours, Jenner had one million Twitter followers, and within 24 hours, it was two million. And I thought that was amazing. That there was just there was so much interest. Any of these idiots trying to claim that this isn't a story or shouldn't be a story were just were just so off base. Well, I actually was surprised. I mean, I thought it was a story, but I was working at my other job on Monday, and I saw you post. Oh, that's nice. And I went, oh, that's nice. And I looked at the picture, and I didn't think much of it. I thought it wasn't going to be that big of a story as it was. And then I said, oh, I'm just curious what's on. I always check the Drudge Report sometimes. And that was his lead. And I said, oh, well, this is a lot bigger than even I thought. And it was a lead to all the news. It was kind of like, maybe because I was just so distracted, I thought, oh, okay, well, we knew that Caitlyn Jenner was going to, you know, come out as, you know, whatever her name was going to be at some point. And I thought it was a nice story that would get, but it was like, it was a lot bigger than even I thought. So, um, but I didn't have a who cares thing. I was simply like, oh, that's really kind of cool. And somebody who I think can kind of provide a bit more, insight into kind of how that came about and, and how the, the rollout came about. Nick Adams is joining us from GLAAD. Nick, I'm wondering what role you guys have had in all of this. Were, were you part of the, uh, the decision-making on when to do it and how to do it, and, and, and when did you get involved? Oh, hi, Sid. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, we were not. Glad has not been was not involved at all around the Vanity Fair article or the photographs that Ann Leibovitz took. Um, we were, frankly, as surprised as everybody else on Monday when it made big news. Um, but we have been over the last several months. Um, we provided resources to ABC News to help them with the Diane Sawyer special, the interview that aired on in April. And then we have also been working with E um, around the creation of the docu series, just also providing them with best practices on how to cover and tell transgender stories. And well, Nick, this is a saw, well, when you saw the cover, what 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 was your immediate reaction, and what did you do in the couple of minutes after you saw it? <laughs> well, we we also knew that it that it was coming. I actually just thought that it was going to be a little bit later in June. So, we immediately put out a new tip sheet. We had created a tip sheet for journalists on how to cover the story around the Diane Sawyer interview and that we saw a lot of pickup of that style guide um in stories that appeared immediately following the Diane Sawyer interview because it was a little bit of an unusual situation. In that after that interview, Bruce did not, you know, ask that a new name and pronoun be used. So we explained to journalists that typically a transgender person does want a new name and pronoun to be used fairly quickly after they transition. But in this case, we were following the lead of the trans person, and that was not the case, but that they should clarify in their own stories as they wrote them 
why they were continuing to use Bruce and he in the days and weeks following the Diane Sawyer interview, because otherwise they would, you know, get feedback from people asking why they were being disrespectful. Um, so we were ready to roll out a new tip sheet when Caitlyn Jenner did reveal her new name and, and new pronoun, and we sent that out right away on Monday morning. And uh, the actual, I was just looking at the blog post that we posted where we put the new style guide tips up, and it's been shared over 47,000 times on Facebook. So we got a tremendous wow. amount of people checking that out and wanting to know um, how to write respectful stories. And I've fielded um, an untold number of interview requests and questions from journalists this week. And the really heartening thing for me is that each and every one of them is wanting to know how I can tell this story well, how can I be respectful, how can I do a good job. And, you know, I've worked at GLAAD for a long time and been here during previous uh, media interest in transgender stories, and I can tell you that that was not always the case. Even a few years ago, it was difficult to get journalists and cable news pundits and so on to refer to Chaz Bono with his new name and pronoun, or there was a tremendous amount of confusion about what being transgender even meant when, tra when Chaz was doing interviews. And today, people seem to be much more clear on what transgender means, and they really want to do a good job of telling Caitlin's story, which I find very, very encouraging. Uh, and Nick, this is Jim, and I want to jump in on that because this is, as a journalist, it gets a little confusing when you're dealing with a trans person who is a public figure. Um, yes. You know, Caitlyn Jenner won the 1976 Olympic decathlon as Bruce Jenner. And mm -hmm. I, there was a stupid change.org petition yesterday that came out where they wanted Caitlyn stripped of the medal because basically because of fraud is what it amounted to. It, it was <laughs> absurd, but it had, you know, 3,500 people co-signing this thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I ran a picture of then Bruce Jenner from 1976 mm -hmm. because that was what the story was about. And Sid called me. We had a discussion about is that okay? And I thought, well, private person would never do that, but with a public figure, it would. Fit, it felt to me like I'd be somehow whitewashing history to say that this other, you know, person didn't exist back 39 years ago. And I'm wondering with the guidelines for that from a historic standpoint. You know, the person named Bruce Jenner won the Olympics in 1976. And what are the guidelines for how the media should deal with something that was a public historic document, basically, going forward when they're, when they're writing about Caitlin? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you mentioned briefly in passing there something that even to this day not all journalists get, which is that the average everyday transgender person doesn't typically feel the need to reveal their birth name or show before pictures of themselves. I mean, you'll notice that Laverne Cox, for example, has never, you know, disclosed her birth name, and you don't see before pictures of Laverne Cox, because when you see Laverne as the woman that she is today, that is her authentic self, and that's the way most trans people prefer to be seen. Where it gets complicated, you're absolutely right, is when there's a well-known person like Caitlin or like Chaz Bono or like Lana Wachowski who co-directed The Matrix with her brother. Um, that's a little bit more convoluted because they, there's a whole media history of prior birth name and prior pictures. In this instance, 
what we've encouraged people to do is to say something like Caitlyn Jenner won the gold medal in the 1976 men's decathlon in Montreal to make it clear that she was competing as, you know, in, as a man at that time. But you can continue to use her current name to describe it. And I don't think that running the birth picture, I mean, sorry, the birth picture, running the before picture is, is problematic because I think that Caitlyn's never going to be able to escape, you know, 60 some years of photographs of her from before. Um, but it's it's also I think that using Caitlin to to refer to her even though is not a bad thing because I think she made it clear in her interview with Diane Sawyer that Caitlin was as much in existence in 1976 as Bruce was at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, she was very clear what her gender identity was back then and and was you know started transitioning in fact shortly afterwards in the early 80s. So so we would encourage journalists to you know not ignore it, not try to erase the past, try to minimize the use of the birth name and you know um but for your readers, you do have to sort of clarify and for a while, people might need to say Caitlyn Jenner, formerly known as Bruce, until everybody gets on board with the new name. Although I have to say there's been so much media attention this week, I would assume everybody's on board with the new name at this point. Yeah, and I think Nick, in this case, I ran the picture because the story was about a trying to strip. Caitlyn's medals from 1976. Yeah, and unfortunately, yeah, the, the, the only pictures of Caitlyn now are the Vanity Fair pictures, so there wasn't a whole lot of right. to use exactly. until you know she becomes yeah. a lot more public and is out in events and stuff. But you know, I kind of get the yeah. idea, and, and to me, I think it's separate between a public figure and, and you know a private figure, which has kind of a higher right to privacy, and you know, um, agree. Yeah, that's exactly so, correct. Yeah, so we've been just trying to talk to journalists about the fact that there is a difference between someone like Caitlyn Jenner and someone like Laverne Cox, who has a right to privacy regarding her past. Uh, just along those lines, we're going to be having a story um, by a trans bodybuilder, and I met him last year, and it's going to be a wonderful story, and I'll make sure you see it, Nick, because I think it's one you should really spread around. And in telling his story, he never mentioned his birth name, and never, you know, and I would never even think to ask him about it. Mm-hmm. And would never mm-hmm. think of asking him for pictures, uh, you know, because that's not the, mm-hmm. that's not who he is, and that's right. the difference I think between that and a and a public persona like a Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah, absolutely. Have you come across uh, any coverage that you you feel has been particularly good or particularly bad? I mean, the the, the, the Neil Neil Cavuto calling it the, the the last days of Rome. I think oh, that's probably an easy one to call out, but. Yeah. Are there any that are particularly good? You know, I have to be honest with you and tell you I have been so busy running and doing interviews and media myself. I've 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 taken in the coverage, but I haven't been had even had a time to do sort of a critical analysis of it. I mean, I will say that one of the things that surprised me was the cover of the New York Post, which um Right now, I can't remember exactly what the headline was, uh, but some people said it was very transphobic because they put she in quotation marks, which is something we encourage journalists not to do because if you put quotation marks around a pronoun, if you did it for me, it would be like if you put quotation marks around him, it would be implying that I'm not really a man and I'm you know, so on and I'm just faking it and all that kind of stuff. Um, in this instance, I, I believe that the Post was doing that because Caitlin had referred to her and she in the third person during the Diane Sawyer interview so frequently. I think that was the Post's intention. And some people were upset about that, and I can understand why, because there's a long history with the Post and also with that idea of putting quotes around someone's pronoun. 
But when I looked at that, my first thought was, this is this is the New York Post. Like I would have expected so much worse, honestly, based on their previous <laughs> coverage of trans people. I was actually kind of like, that's if that's the worst that the Post can do is quotation marks around the word she, then I'm kind of pleasantly surprised. Um, so I think in general, like I said, the, the 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 way the public and the media have embraced Caitlin to me has been wonderful. And yes, there have been a few people here and there um, on Fox Business Channel and a couple of other outlets that have, you know, put forward the same tired, transphobic stereotypes that this is really a man or this is just somebody playing dress up uh, or she's not really a woman unless she has X, Y, and Z surgeries that I determine are the appropriate steps that everyone must take in order to be a real woman. All those kinds of very tired, old transphobic um, opinions, there have been a few of those here and there, but but by and large, they've really been the minority. Well, how much of this, Nick, is the fact that Caitlin signaled this for a while? I mean, this wasn't just, it wasn't like nobody knew anything and all of a sudden there's this magazine story that she kind of laid the groundwork and got people prepared for the fact that something, you know, like this, here's my new name is going to be coming. Do you think that minimized any of the for want of a better word, shock value, because people were sort of primed because they had the Diane Sawyer interview and they had other things where Caitlin had talked about um, her transition that it made it almost less of a oh-my-God story because we were expecting something like this to happen. Um, possibly, yeah. The fact that she – I know that she sort of described some of uh, the Diane Sawyer thing as like a goodbye to Bruce Jenner the last time, you know, I'll be appearing as Bruce Jenner kind of thing. And and I think, you know, um, not everybody – not every trans person can go from living as their, you know, birth assigned sex one day and living as their – what the sex that conforms to their gender identity the next day. Like it's a very – for every transgender person, it's a long process that involves many steps and can take quite some time. And, and in a way, we're getting to sort of see those steps um, in Caitlin's own life. Um, but, you know, I wanted to say regarding the reaction to the cover, I, I came into the call a little bit late, and I just heard the end of what I think your reaction was, which is you looked at it and thought that was nice and then went on to other things. And I actually look forward to the day when that's everyone's reaction when someone transitions is – oh, that's nice, we're so glad you're happy now, let's go on now and talk about you know, other things that are interesting about you. Because mm-hmm. we are still very much in this moment where the world comes to a halt because um, Caitlyn Jenner has taken photographs for Vanity Fair. And while I'm heartened that their response has been so positive, I also look forward to the day when people can transition and, and disclose that they're transgender and everybody says, oh yeah, I know five other transgender people, tell me what else is interesting about you. Um, that's what I think the ultimate goal is, is that when it becomes not worldwide news and not so shocking and not so surprising, but just more you know, accepted as part of the fabric of our society. Is the goal not to, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed to me that a lot of people who are trans, they're, they don't, it's not that they don't want to be trans, it's that they simply want to be the gender that they identify with. And they are oh, yeah. transgender, but they just, they just, they want to be seen as a woman, not as a trans right. woman. Is that wrong? No, I, I think that your perception is good, and I th- I've been talking to a lot of journalists lately, actually, about, you know, we have done a wonderful, wonderful job, I think, in the United States of 
coming to understand that if you're a lesbian, gay, or bisexual person, when you come out as gay, lesbian, or bisexual, it's really a day of celebration. It's, a, it's an opportunity you know, for, to throw a parade and have confetti cannons, and everybody's excited because we know that the closet for LGB people is a very toxic place. It's, you know, it's when you can't be your authentic self that you are in the closet, and when you come out of the closet, you're being your authentic self. For trans people, the initial process of transitioning is similar in the sense that you have to tell people and it's it's a visible process and you you are you are in that place of transitioning from your birth sex to the one that matches your gender identity um, but once you've transitioned and you're living as your authentic self as a man or as the woman that you've always known yourself to be if you choose not to tell other people that you are transgender, like I'll take myself for an example. I'm both a gay man and a transgender man. So when people meet me, they know within five minutes that I'm gay because that is my authentic self and I want them to know that I have a partner, John, that I've been with for 14 years and that I love Stephen Sondheim and that I watch rugby largely for the size as much as for the game. And, you know, so I, I, people need to know I'm gay because that's my authentic self. When they meet me as a man, that is also my authentic self. And I will not necessarily disclose to someone that I'm a transgender man until I get to know them better. And that does not mean that I'm in the closet as a transgender person or I'm ashamed of being transgender or it's lying or I'm being deceptive or any of those things that we associate with the notion of not disclosing that you're gay. It simply means that when you meet me as a man, you are also meeting my authentic self. So why should I tell you about my medical history unless there's a reason to? And I think that as we get to know more and more transgender people, there's always going to be people like Janet Mock and Laverne Cox who are talking about the fact that they're transgender as a way of raising the public consciousness and educating people. But when you meet transgender people who don't want to disclose and who want to keep that information private, I hope we can all understand that that's not the same as being in the closet as a gay person. It just means that they're presenting their authentic self to the world and that's what they want to be seen. Um, you know, my experience has been that sometimes when I reveal to somebody that I'm a transgender man, what I see in their eyes is that they had an internal Rolodex card for me, and it said Nick Adams man, and then I say that I'm a transgender man, and then I see that they put a footnote that says not really a man, really a woman. And it, that's why it can be disempowering to disclose to someone that you're transgender because they stop seeing the real you, and they start – you know, assuming that how you were born is who you really are. And, and so it just doesn't feel as good as, you know, it doesn't feel the same as telling someone that you're gay and therefore, you know, you're a proud gay person. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. And I wanted okay. to follow well, up on that because there was, a, um, there was a group in England I saw that was trying to separate LGB from the T saying that one is mm -hmm. sexual orientation, one is gender identity, and what do they have in common, per se. How would you, have, how would you um, sort of counter back with them? That what, what do LGB yeah. and T have in common? Yeah, I do think that that can be confusing for people because LGB is about sexual orientation, which is who you're attracted to. And T is about gender identity, which is who you are as a person. So sometimes that can be simplified down as, you know, LGB is who you want to go to bed with and T is who you want to go to bed as. And we have this acronym where we're all lumped in together. And I think it's really important that we're lumped in together for a variety of reasons. First of all, the communities overlap. So I'm both the G and the T. Um, also because transgender people have been part of the larger LGBT equality movement from the very beginning. Some of the early pioneers, you know, right after Stonewall were transgender women of color. So they, this isn't something new. We've always been part of the community. 
And I think that the other reason that we form alliances with each other to work together toward equality is that the people who dislike us and hate us dislike us and hate us for exactly the same reason. So a little boy who's picked on in on the playground because he is a sissy is not picked on because he's you know seen kissing another boy on the playground in fourth in fourth grade. He's picked on because he's behaving in ways that the other boys think are too feminine, and that's really a gender expression issue, you know, more than a sexual orientation issue, quite frankly. And a transgender woman who's walking down the street and someone throws something, you know, a beer bottle out of the car at her is just as likely to hear, you know, the F word as the P word thrown at her when she's under attack. So those people who really dislike us, dislike us for very similar reasons. And I think that it makes sense for us to work together to make the world a safe place for all of us. I could ask you questions for a year, I swear. But I just one last one that I have for you. It's kind of off of that. One thing I've gotten asked by several people is, well, is is Caitlin a lesbian? Because ah. she's a woman and she's attracted to women. And when Diane Sawyer asked her if you're a lesbian, she said no. Mm-hmm. But she's a woman attracted to women. And so how, 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 how can we reconcile that? I know labels and people don't like labels, but how do we, how do we figure through that? Right. So I, I'm not going to try to speak for Caitlin because Kate, only Caitlin knows what her sexual orientation is at this point, and she hasn't made it clear to any of us. So we'll just set her aside for a moment. But I do think that people can get confused by that. And um, let's see, how shall I describe it? I think that um, – so I'll use myself as an example. So I was always attracted to men growing up, but I was in a female body at the time, and the world saw me as a female. And so I was in relationships with straight men that looked on the outside like a straight heterosexual relationship, but that never felt right to me. Like I just knew that it wasn't right, that I couldn't – I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. I knew that this whole dynamic did not feel right, that there was just something about this that was off because when I was being seen in a heterosexual relationship, it was putting me in the role of woman, and I knew that that wasn't correct. I also knew then when I decided to transition that with my attraction to men, after I transitioned, that I would be a gay man. And in fact, indeed, that's what I am, and my partner is a gay man. And like I said, we've been together for a long time. And that's just one journey. And every transgender person's journey is going to be slightly different in terms of their sexual orientation and who they're attracted to. Because um, I've known other transgender men, for example, who were in the lesbian community before they transitioned and um, you know, were attracted to women, transitioned, stayed attracted to women, and ended up in heterosexual marriages, what appears to the world to be a heterosexual marriage. Sometimes those people just consider themselves queer. They're like, well, Labels are confusing in this situation. We're just going to throw them all out the window and say that this is a queer relationship. And and you just can't make assumptions about what a transgender person's sexual orientation is or how they self-identify because it is very complicated. And, um, you know, hopefully they'll share that information with you if you know them well enough. I would be cautious about grilling people and asking because it could come across as a little rude. But, you know... I can see why people get confused by it, and honestly, even as a trans person, it can be a little confusing sometimes, but um, the fact of the matter is, you know, the goal ultimately for me is that transgender people are able to find love and be in relationships with someone who loves them for who they are. Unfortunately, one of the first things a trans person usually hears when they tell their family that they're transgender is who's going to love you. That seems to be one of the 
family's biggest concerns is that if you're transgender, you're unlovable by default. And I'm here to attest that that's not true, that um, my partner and I are very much in love, and I know many trans people in relationships. So I hope that whoever they end up in a relationship with, people just see them as a happy couple and congratulate them. Well, hear, hear. Well said. <laughs> Chances are that won't be with Chris Kardashian. So, um, <laughs> well on her way. Uh, well, we really appreciate you joining us. We know that you've been super busy and will continue to be for a while because I don't think this is going going away. I think this might be the the, the, the summer of the trans person in in the U.S. Well, and you saw you saw as part of the announcement in the Vanity Fair piece that um, Caitlin will be receiving the Arthur Ashe Courage Award at this year's Essays, yeah. right? Huge, yeah. huge, yeah. So yes, we'll, we'll, mid July we'll be we'll be back at it for sure. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, yeah, and thanks, Dick. We'll, well, thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me on. I really appreciate it, and thanks for talking about this today. Thanks. All right. Bye. Great, bye. Bye. I will. Uh, that was Nick Adams from from Glad. Who God had a lot of great stuff to say. <laughs> we'll definitely have Nick so back on. And- I know. I mean, I, I feel like I know a lot of trans. I do know a lot of trans people, and I feel like I know a lot about these issues. But, geez, I mean, still, just so many questions and so much to learn, and and it's great that so many journalists want to do that. that they want to get it right. Yeah, and people are afraid of saying the wrong thing or using the wrong term or phrase, and you know. So I think it's good that we have people on and learn from people like Nick. So. Yeah. All right, well, that's all the time we have this week. Next week, I don't think we'll be doing this podcast because we'll be at the nope, we'll be in LGBT Portland. Sports Summit. That's right. So we will talk to you in Remember a our couple sponsor. of weeks. In the meantime, oh, our spot, yes, of course, that U.S. sponsor, AT&T, mobilizing your world. Head to Nike.com, get your B-True shoes and your B-True hats and your B-True T-shirts, and, uh, and happy Pride.